Welcome to the Failsafe. A podcast about writing and failure. Hey everyone, I'm Rachel Yoder, host of The Failsafe, and on this episode I talk with Christine Sneed, the author of four works of fiction, most recently a novel out in 2015 called Paris, He Said, and coming this fall, The Virginity of Famous Men, a short story collection. Christine and I talk about writing for a living, the challenges of short story versus novel writing, and the many pitfalls of social media. Portsmouth Symphonia, please usher us into this, our third episode. Here we go. So part of why I wanted to start this podcast or my thinking leading up to the podcast had to do with the fact that two years ago I had a baby and I pretty much stopped writing. I went from a sporadic writing practice to a absolute zero writing practice. And I wanted to be able to talk to authors who have maybe stalled out or have just had a long writing life and know what it means to not write or or have contended with failure in the past. And I wanted to know how they think about their writing practice and how they sit down at the desk every day. When I sat down and talked with Christine Sneed, I was so inspired by this voracious writing practice she has. When she's working on a novel, she writes a thousand words a day. And I'm about to, in two weeks, begin to have two delicious hours a day where my child is going to be somewhere else and I'm finally going to have two free hours to sit down and write. And so I was really heartened when I spoke with Christine to hear about what a hard worker she is and to just have this conversation prime me for going back in to my own writing practice and hopefully starting my own writing practice again. Christine and I sat down at the Iowa Writers House here in Iowa City. She was leading a two-day workshop here on characterization and is such an accomplished writer. If you have not heard of Christine, you, you, you are lucky that right now you are hearing about her. So here are some fun facts about Christine and her pretty phenomenal writing career. So she has published four books since 2010. The first book is called Portraits of a Few People I've Made Cry, and this is a collection of short stories. It won AWP's Grace Paley Prize and was published by University of Massachusetts Press. Since then, she has published a novel in 2013 called Little Known Facts. Little Known Facts was reviewed on the front page of the New York Times Book Review and went on to win a number of awards. Her more recent novel is called Paris, he said, and that came out in hardcover in 2015. He also has another collection of short stories forthcoming from Bloomsbury in this fall, actually, um, This collection is called The Virginity of Famous Men, another amazing title. She's just 
a seasoned writer. She's been writing for 20 years. And I really encourage you to take a look at her books. There's also a really wonderful interview with her right now that just went up over at The Rumpus uh, about her new collection. So please check that out. Christine lives in Evanston, Illinois, and teaches creative writing for the MFA program at Northwestern University, and is also on the fiction faculty of the Regis University Low Residency MFA program. I sat down to talk with Christine at the Iowa Writers House here in Iowa City. In the middle of her day, she was teaching a workshop on characterization and very graciously took a few minutes out to sit down and talk with me about failure. So without further ado, here's Christine. So you have seen a lot of success, which made me really interested in talking to you um, in particular for this podcast, because I'm always really interested in how successful writers contend with failure, because it seems like you have found some key for staying the course Mm -hmm. and for overcoming those, you know, psychological challenges and craft challenges that a lot of us come up against. You had a novel come out this year, Paris, he said. It came out in paperback this year and it was actually in hardcover last year. Okay. Officially in 2015 and then later earlier this year yeah okay so came out last year and then you have a short story collection coming out later this year the virginity of famous men yes wonderful Mm -hmm. title can't wait to read that so i love that you work in both the short story and the novel forms and the first question i had was just about short stories do you often abandon short stories after you start them and or rarely, or sometimes, and and if so, what are the circumstances that kind of lead to you abandoning a short story? You know, that's a good question because I have abandoned um, a few stories that I ended up going back to in the last couple of years and finishing. And I think what happens when I lose the momentum on them and put them aside, and sometimes I don't ever return to them except to read a little bit of them and think, oh, I'm glad I left this you know by the wayside <laughs> because I just don't, yeah, it wasn't working. But I think what happens is. Sometimes I have a thought that I want to follow in a certain way, and that starts appearing on the page in a different way than what I want it to. And so a character might start making decisions that I think are the wrong decisions, or the tone maybe is not mm. consistent. And and so then I just said, I say, well, I think I can work on something else right now because this is not going the way I want it to. And maybe it's impatience, because I think sometimes a lot of writers are more... They're more deliberate. They'll take more time. I have a good friend who took six years to write a novel, and it's a great novel, and it was published, but, you know, she doesn't seem... Maybe she does actually get nervous about spending six years writing a novel, but she just seems okay with that. Like, she, yeah. she knows that that's the pace that's best for her, and... But she also has another job that brings an in income that, you know, it's she can live on it. So I, I think, for me, a lot of it is motivated by fear of not earning enough money so I've published for I'll have as of September I'll have four books in print in a six-year period well a lot the two story collections the stories were written over like a 12 or 14 year period Mm -hmm. so it's not like I just wrote each of these books in rapid succession the novels did I did write those more quickly like little known facts took me all told about a year or so and then Paris he said was about two years um, with from beginning to end 
I feel like it has to work pretty early on within the first week or so. Like I have to get the voice and I have yeah. to get the trajectory of the, the narrative arc it has to be working before, you know, I'll feel like I can finish it. Yeah. And also the thing is with the story, I, I don't feel the same anxiety about a story, you know. Um, yeah. So, okay. I have two follow-up questions for that. The first is, can you pinpoint in any way what it is about, you know, a short story you've abandoned when you read it again after a number of months or a number of years, why you decide to go back into it, um, what it is about, you know, the drafts that yeah. you go, go toward versus the ones that are just dead forever. You know, I, it's sometimes the same thing ha- happens where I'll initially, when I put that story aside, as I said, I feel like, oh, this is not working. But then, you know, a year later or two years later, I look at it and think, this is actually okay. Maybe it wasn't what I wanted it to be at the time, but, yeah. you know, a year later, I feel like I can pick this up and then take it somewhere that'll end up in an, it'll end up in an interesting place. Right. And it's just maybe the mood, you know, I, I think also if you've been working intensively on something for a, a few weeks or, or a novel, you've been working on it for a year, you just cannot see anything that surprises you anymore. So if I've been, and I tend to draft stories pretty quickly within a week or two, I usually have for, you know, like it's about 5,500 to 6,500 words. I mean, if you write most days and you can get 500 words down on the page or 600 or 700, you, you end up with a draft, you know, for a short story within a couple of weeks. I think I just feel like I'm a lot more forgiving of the choices that I've made early, you know, two years ago right? Um, in the present, because part of it might just be relief. Like, thank God I have something that looks like it's working because <laughs> nothing else that I'm writing right now is working. Yeah. So, you know, I, and yeah. It's like, it's almost like the time allows you to become a reader of your work in yeah, a way that exactly. you weren't able to be earlier. Um, I love that you write so quickly. I think that's amazing. <laughs> Again, it's desperation. It's like I need to earn a living. I mean, I teach too, but I, I'm not a tenure track professor, so I so I just feel like that fear is what's motivating me. So, how do you power through? I mean, do you have moments of doubt in those yes. in that year or two that you're writing? And I mean, is it really just you? You just keep going. Intense I mean, doubt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, my last. Um, novel, Paris, he said, I wrote seven drafts before. I mean, I wrote a first draft and my editor at Bloomsbury and I both determined that that first draft was not what the book needed to be. So I wrote like 95% of it over. I mean, I just basically started over. I mean, I had the characters, but some of the relationships changed Mm -hmm. between them. Big, you know, major relationship differences between the first and second draft. So and then the third draft was more, and then the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh draft, those were more refinements. Right, it's not right. like I was doing major plot point changes or anything. But, you know, it was it was horrible. I mean, I, I just felt like I I just didn't know if I could write a book that anyone would want to read. And I was exhausted, too, because I'd been teaching a lot of classes and also just finished promoting Little Known Facts and, you know, doing as many readings as I could do. And I mean, those things, too. I mean, it's fun to do readings, but it's also you don't get paid for most of them and you maybe sell one book and then you feel bad because the bookstore ordered 25 copies and they have 24 (laughs) copies to return to the publisher and they have to pay for that so I mean it's that happens a lot I I, I'm not aside from the release party it's it's just not common that I have a reading where tons of people come and buy books you're lucky if you sell 10 
You know, even with a good size audience, if you have 35 or 40 people, maybe you'll sell five books. You just don't know. You know, some of them have already been to a reading and bought a book. So you just, you just can't ever assume anything. Yeah, I've heard, you know, stories from writers and from people who attend readings about, you know, going to a reading and there are three people there in the audience. And that will happen inevitably when you're on book tour. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it's something that happens to everyone. So... Um, I want to go back to that moment when you wrote the first draft of Paris, he said, you just talked with your editor on the phone or read an email. Mm -hmm. You're in that moment where you realize, okay, I'm going to have to rewrite this book. How do you frame that in a way where you can sit down at the desk again the next day and start over? I mean, it seems... It's so huge, right? Yeah. I mean, is it are, are you just kind of on autopilot, or do you kind of think your way through it? Do you have any sort of tools or ways of thinking about it that kind of help you come yeah, back to it? No, that's, those are good questions, because I just remember feeling... I mentioned that I felt exhausted earlier. I, I just felt so tired, but I also know that the way you write a novel is you just sit down and you start putting one word and then the next word and the next word and you know I try to set a word count as I said if I could write 500 or in the case of writing a novel I try to write a thousand words a day if I especially one thing with Paris he said um, Bloomsbury had acquired it on the first hundred pages so we had a contract had already been paid the first part of the advance but that was because my second book Little Known Facts had gotten a lot of review attention and they mm-hmm. were thinking oh we have this author who's going to become a bestseller which has not happened you know <laughs> so you know but i had the i did have the incentive because i already had the contract mm-hmm. um, for that novel but in between little known facts and paris he said a couple of years well, about a, well, two years between the acquisition of Little Known Facts and its publication had elapsed almost. And in that period, I returned to an old short story that I ended up turning into a novel draft. And my editor at Bloomsbury rejected it. And my my agent, who was my, the woman who was my agent at the time, she's like, oh, I like this book. You know, let's send it to Nancy at Bloomsbury. Well, Nancy didn't like it, and she rejected it. So I had this entire novel that needed a lot of work, but also she just was not interested. So I had to start over. Mm-hmm. And I'd already published a chapter of that rejected novel as a short story. The one, you know, that was why I went back to it. But, I mean, like anything, I just feel like if, I don't have kids, but if, like, for example, you know, you have a child, you feel like, I have to feed this child, you know? So, and I'm like, I have to pay my mortgage. And so that fear-based motivation is, for me, something that keeps me at my desk. And I, I think, you know... It's also just habit. I mean, I, yeah. I've been writing seriously for over 20 years, so I feel like it's such a big part of my mental health. You know, <laughs> even if the writing's not going that well, or I'm you know, writing a novel that ultimately is going to be rejected. Um, another friend of mine named Karen Brown, who is a great story writer, and she's also a novelist, she just says, okay, well, if, if it's not this book, it's the next book. And I think that's really the most healthy attitude to have, because if you're a writer, you write, and... Yes, we want rewards, we want money, and we want people to love us, but um, you, you have to just enjoy the writing process because at base level, that's all that you have. So I think about that a lot, and I, my partner sometimes asks me, would you keep writing if you knew that you were never going to sell another book? And, I, and I'm like, that's such a horrible question. Because, <laughs> A, well, one thing that's good is that you don't know the answer because you can't see the future. Right. But I think, well, yeah, I probably would keep writing, but fortunately, I don't know that that's going to happen 
So you just don't, you won't ever know until you're, you know, about to die. So if, if you didn't say, you know, if you never sold a book after your next book. So I, but I, I just feel like I, it's its own reward. And yeah. even when it's not going that well, I just, I think something, like I'll say, I'll write one good sentence maybe. Yeah. And in some sense, it just has to be what you want to do regardless mm-hmm. of what the outcome is. Right. Because most people like, I mean, so many writers I know who are in, who are writers I admire, um, former professors or my friend Jean Thompson. I don't know if you know her novels. She actually, one of her novels, her recent novel, The Year We Left Home, was an Iowa Reed selection a couple okay. of years ago, but she lives in Urbana, okay. Illinois. She said, I just think, why would anyone want to be a writer? I mean, it's just so it's so <laughs> frustrating, and you, you feel like you never get enough attention, and you never sell enough books, and someone else is always making more money, and their book's being made into a great film, and you're just sitting in your house, you know, thinking about, what, I'm not going to eat that Danish, you know, something like that. So, But I, I'm like, yeah, it's true. I mean, we, we suffer, but and, but so many people want to be writers. Yeah. And, and and I I can't imagine not being a writer, but we know we know what it's like. It's it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Even people like I have a, you know I have a great publisher, but it doesn't mean that Bloomsbury is, you know, unable to keep up with orders for my books because they they can. You know they haven't <laughs> had a problem with that yet. So I mean that's just part of the whole thing. You have to learn to face uncertainty. Right. So do, would you say when you think about your creative process and writing for the last twenty years and and writing today and into the future. What's sort of the biggest challenge for you as an artist, as a creative person, as a writer? Um, I think some of it is just, you know, feeling like I'm writing something new. Mm -hmm. You know, not just, like John Updike joked frequently about the fact that he kept writing the same short story over and over. I mean, he did write about some, you know, he wrote about a lot of the same themes, but I mean, he wrote about them interestingly. I I feel like I'd I'd read a John Updike story about adultery any day. Like, I don't (laughs) care if it's another story about adultery. John Updike wrote it. That's fine with me. But that's something I think about a lot. Am I challenging myself? Am I doing something interesting because... I do have certain themes that I like to write about, and I and I think, well, we also just have to write about what is engaging to us. We can't pretend we're interested in something and then write a book about it. I mean, you can try. I mean, I don't know how good it'll be, but I just I just feel like I can't be insincere yeah. about it. I have to write about what I like. Well, it seems like you must be doing something right <laughs> um, <laughs> with uh, with all of all of the books you've published, and like I said, with the success you've seen. Um, and I'm sure we'll continue to see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was having an interesting conversation with Andrea before about, you know, um, how deceptive appearances are. And also, mm-hmm. like, looking at Facebook or Twitter and everyone's like, I'm going to be reading. And I got nominated for this award. And Paris Review just sent me, a you know, an acceptance letter. And it, everyone feels, you know, overwhelmed, I think. And also, it's so easy to compare yourself to someone else and Absolutely. feel like, like Lauren Groff, you know, Fates and Furies. Right. Like that, that book has done amazingly well. And all of her books are really good. She's a really good writer, you know. So depending on who your idols are, who you feel you write, you write like so-and-so and that person selling so many more copies and you just have to ignore those voices. I mean, it's really unproductive to compare yourself to other people, but we all do it. I mean, it's just, you just have to accept that. I have a friend who, when I get really down, I'll call him up. He's my writing buddy, Mark, who's the other editor of Draft. And uh, he always tells me there's, there's room for everyone at the table. You know, well, if you're doing something truthful and interesting, yeah, there's room. he's like, yeah. you'll find your place. Like, there's enough to go around. There's a place for everyone, and 
yeah, social media makes me feel like there are no places left. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we need to do an entire episode of the failsafe (laughs) (laughs) about Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Well, apparently Facebook is the second most unhappy activity that we engage on, <laughs> engage believe. in in any, any regular, I was like, what is it, like getting abducted by terrorists? I don't know, I guess it's not a regular activity, thank God, but like running over your neighbor's dog, or I don't know, or your own dog, I I, I wonder, I don't know what it is, yeah. I just remember seeing that it was ranked as the second most depressing activity that we engage in, you know, frequently. I believe it. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I try not to look at the news feed, so I'm always apologizing to people. They're like, didn't you see that my grandma died? And, I, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because um, my partner's a Buddhist, and, and he mm. said that the people who most distress us and who annoy us or make us angry or whatever negative emotion they summon, those are the people that have the most to teach us about our own character. So I always try to put that into perspective. I'm like, okay, the people who drive me crazy, what are they telling me about my own problems, like my own faults? What are my, you know, it, clearly it's just there's something there that you can use. I think that's a very zen and great note to end on. So um, thank you again so much for taking oh, the time to pleasure. sit down. Yeah, yeah and we'll be looking for the virginity of famous men this fall. Well, thank you. I hope, I hope you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs>